Well, Steve had asked me and invited me to take a little time this morning to share a little bit about the theme of our weekend that we had with our students and a portion of what our students have been talking about in their small groups. And that theme was next, growing a faith that lasts. And they talked about this at length. What does it look like to take their faith to the next level? And that's a question that I want to pose to us this morning as well. What does it look like for us to take our faith to the next level and to develop a faith that lasts? What would it look like if we, if you and I, began to think about and pursue a greater understanding and awareness of where God desires for us to be? And for who God desires for us to become. You know, there's a lot of different things in life that we have a desire, perhaps, to take to the next level. Maybe it's our job. Maybe we want to move up to the next level of management. Or we want to move up higher in our department of R&D or sales or whatever it may be. Maybe we want to just learn about a certain hobby or an interest. Maybe we just want to improve our golf swing. Or learn how to sink that three-pointer. Whatever it is, moving to the next level requires us to develop some steps and processes, habits, if you will, that's going to help make that possible. You know, habits are kind of a funny thing, aren't they? Talking about habits with our students from time to time, I'll I'll remind them and, and challenge them and say, who we are is made up of the commitments that we make and the habits that we develop. Who we are is made up of the commitments that we make and the habits that we develop. If you're committed to being an athlete, your life is going to reflect that. You're going to involve yourself in the habit of working out regularly. You're going to eat certain food or not eat certain foods. You're going to engage in certain behavior and activities that are going to prepare you to be a better athlete. And if you're committed to being a musician, you're going to involve yourself in practicing regularly. You're going to involve yourself in performing at different recitals so that you can become a better musician. In short, our lives reflect the habits that we develop. I think the same is true when it comes to our walk with Christ. Who we become is in part determined by the choices that we make and the habits that we're developing in our lives right now. Someone once presented this way, Would you rather be a piñata... Or an iceberg. You know, and I love, I love the picture of that. I, I wish I could claim credit for that. Um, but it's a great way, I think, for us to visualize and to think through this concept of taking our faith to the next level. Well, we all know what a piñata is. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of these paper mache kind of things that, um, is bright, it's colorful. It, uh, who doesn't have a smile on their face right now? When they look at the pinata, right? I mean, a pinata promotes excitement and happiness, right? I mean, we always bring out the pinatas, it seems like, at a children's birthday party. More times than not, right? I mean, you, you, you have all these kids together, perhaps they're all gathered around and, and they're involved in different activities and maybe they're outside, maybe they're jumping on the trampoline or they're running around, they're, they're getting all hot and sweaty, and then and then you you pull them all together, and and then you you load them up with cupcakes and 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 birthday cake and all the sugary goodness, right? And then you blindfold them, sugared up, hyped up kids, and then you hang the pinata up, 
And you give them a weapon. You spin them around, and then their goal is to knock the piñata. And what happens when they knock the piñata? It bursts open, and blessings of sugar from above come down and rain all over these kids. Right? I mean, who doesn't love a piñata? Fantastic stuff. But on a deeper level, a piñata represents the world that we live in. It represents a lifestyle and a mindset of many people and how they've chosen to live and go through their life. It's a mindset and a life that it looks all shiny, it looks all sparkly, it looks all fun and games and slick and smooth and colorful and nice and flashy on the outside. But on the inside, it's nothing but hollow and empty. But then you have an iceberg. Oftentimes it's seen as something that's very large, slow-moving, it's maybe even static. Not much that very much draws you to an iceberg. But the power and the force of an iceberg rests not so much in what you can see above the surface, right? You know this. But it's the power of what's below the surface. It's what's anchoring and sustaining what's above. And when it comes to our spiritual relationship with Christ, we're all presented with that choice. Will you and I choose to become like a piñata that looks all cute and fun and sparkly and glamorous on the outside, but hollow on the inside? Or an iceberg, one whose life under the surface is secure and solid and growing. Because our goal is to become the type of person that God is intending for us to be. What does it look like if we were to begin taking greater ownership of our walk with Christ so that we could become the people that he desires for us to be? I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be in there this morning. Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3. As you turn there, uh, just a little brief overview of the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, um, but we do know that this book was written to some Jewish Christians. They were beginning to suffer uh, rejection and persecution from other Jews. They converted from Judaism and they were being ridiculed uh, by their peers for their newfound faith in Christ. And they were also being tempted to return back to their old ways, to the symbolic and the powerless rituals that Judaism had for them. So the author of Hebrews is writing to encourage them to remain firm, stand firm in your faith, be strong so that you can resist those temptations that they're confronted with. Let me read Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to read the first three verses together. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. 
So based on this passage, I want to kind of just unpack briefly uh, a couple elements of or characteristics of what a next level faith looks like that this author highlights. And first one is this, that a next level faith involves a commitment to movement and maturity over complacency and contentment. A movement and maturity over complacency and contentment. You know, in this passage, the writer of Hebrews, he uses the imagery of a race. In that culture, the image of a race or someone running a race would have been something easily understood by those who are hearing it. Athletic events and contests were pretty common and and highly thought of by the Greeks and the Romans during those days. Not only because it gave people the ability to demonstrate their athletic abilities, but it gave people also an opportunity to demonstrate their hometown pride or their national um, glory when their runner would achieve something significant. So when the athletes were running their race, not only was it important for them to do well physically, but it gave them the opportunity for their country or their nation to be recognized and to be praised. So it's with that imagery in mind that the author writes in verse 1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The idea here is as the runner is out running his race, he's likely going to endure some hills. He's likely going to endure some challenges. Um, maybe so the, the elements, he's going to get tired. Um, but he doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He doesn't decide to just check out and to sit on the sidelines and let all the other runners go by and cheer them on and go, go for it, guys. You can do it. He keeps pressing on. In a similar sense, the same is true when it comes to our walk with Christ. For one to take their faith to the next level, it involves a commitment to be fully engaged and to make conscious efforts to keep moving forward, regardless of the difficulty or the challenge that could come. It involves a commitment to continual movement and maturity over a commitment to complacency and contentment. We see this in other passages of Scripture as well. This imagery of a race and running toward a goal, pursuing the prize, if you will. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. One of my favorites is 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Those are just two. There are many others that highlight the importance of movement forward in our faith. Of pressing on. All of these have in common the truth that the intended lifestyle of someone who calls himself a disciple of Jesus is movement toward maturity. In fact, if you look back a few pages to Hebrews chapter 5, you'll see that the writer of Hebrews actually lovingly confronts his readers for their spiritual apathy when it comes to growing up in their faith. Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11, it says this, We have much to say about this, But it is hard to make clear to you 
because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. But then he goes on, chapter 6, verse 1. Read this with me. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to, what's the word? Maturity. Regardless of what your translation says, others want to say to press on to maturity. Another one says to become mature. However you want to look at it, God calls us to the same thing. To pursue movement and maturity over complacency and contentment. He calls us to be like an iceberg. Where the part of our lives that's visible is actually rooted underwater by God himself. And is resting on God himself. According to Romans 8.29, he's called us to be conformed to the image of his son. That's our goal. That's our focus as believers. Is to become like Christ in every single way. So it begs us to ask the question, does your life, does my life reflect a desire and a passion to do that? And if it does, how is that reflected? Do I plan my day in a way that supports movement toward a maturity in Christ? Do I use my discretionary time that I have available to me in a way that can strengthen my foundation and my relationship with Christ? Do I approach the situations that I face every day with an attitude of, how can this help me grow and become more mature in Christ? I want to encourage us to press on in this race of how and of commitment toward maturity and to resist the temptation to become complacent and content. The writer goes on and he highlights a second characteristic of one who pursues a next level faith. He says the next level faith also involves a commitment to throw off the obstacles. Not only does he challenge his readers to press on, but in verse 1, back in Hebrews 12, he calls us to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. You're going back to our athletic imagery of the day. You know, it was common, and it's still common today when athletes are involved in their training, that they use a variety of weights or, or heavy objects um, to help them to, to prepare for their sport. I'm a big baseball fan, and, and if you watch baseball at all, you see baseball players as they are warming up or during their batting practice. Um, a lot of times they'll have a heavy metal collar around their baseball bats to help strengthen their muscles. Runners, on occasion, will run with ankle weights on to strengthen their muscles during their time of preparation. But when it comes time to perform, the weights come off. Because having those weights on is only going to restrict and hinder them from the goal that they have set out to achieve. So the question that I want to pose to us this morning is, are there any weights or things that are hindering us from pursuing maturity in Christ? I mean, important, to, I think, to mention that these hindrances may not necessarily be bad things in and of themselves. In fact, they actually could be pretty good. 
But perhaps we've just allowed them to come to the point in our lives where they've slowed us down or they've become uh, a hindrance and allowed us to become complacent in our walk with Christ. Perhaps we've allowed ourselves to work diligently in our job, which in and of itself isn't a bad thing, to work hard. But maybe it's come to the point where it's become a hindrance and a roadblock in our development of our faith with Christ. Have we allowed technology um, and our need to always be connected to it to consume us to the point where it's limited or replaced our time alone with God? The writer challenges us to consider also not just things that hinder us, but specifically if there are sins that are entangling us. That's specifically attitudes or actions that are pulling us away in our relationship with Christ. You know, we might be tempted to think that any unconfessed sin isn't really hurting us. It's, it's not stopping me from growing in my relationship with Christ. But can I challenge you and remind us that any time we have unconfessed sin, it creates a barrier and, and tension between us and our relationship with Christ. And eventually, if we choose to continue in that sin and not confess it, It's going to entangle us even more and pull us away from the life that Christ has called us to live. A life of joy and fullness in Him. So in a world that values the lifestyle and the mentality of a piñata, where everything looks great on the outside, but it's actually hollow on the inside, can I encourage us to regularly take the practice and the habit to pause? To take time to reflect and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us. Are there any areas of our lives that we need to throw off? Are there areas of our lives that we need to confess to God that have been entangling us? Let's choose to address these things, to deal with them, so that our walk with Christ isn't hindered. The third thing on a next level faith that he challenges us with is a commitment to fix our eyes on Christ. You know, our writer, he knows that running a race of faith isn't easy. He's already reminded them to press on, to persevere, right? These believers are getting pressured to return back to Judaism, to turn away from their faith in Christ. And he's encouraging them, press on, stay with it. But he also reminds them that it's important to have a fixed point of reference and to know where you're headed, to remain centered on. And that is the person of Jesus. And can I tell you, there is no better person, there is no other person worthy of our focus, of our goal, of our energy, of our effort, than Jesus alone. In fact, the entire book of Hebrews, if you were to look through it, the overarching theme emphasizes the supremacy of Christ over all things, over all people, over all of history, and hopefully over all of our lives. And so it's on that basis, on that truth of who Christ is and his character, that as we run the race, we do so fixing our eyes on him. He's so confident, he's so wanting to emphasize this, that later on in verse 3, he comes back and he says, consider him. So fix your eyes on Jesus and consider him. He's the author and the originator of our faith. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who's redeemed us. and He's the only one who's able to sustain us and help us in this process of becoming mature. 
But I think it's important for us to realize that fixing our eyes on Jesus describes more than a one-time action that we do. It describes an attitude that we live. It's an attitude that recognizes his supremacy over all the universe, but also his supremacy over our lives. It's an attitude that calls us to consider him, to, to stop, to ponder and reflect who is Jesus What has he done for us? It's to ponder that Jesus, God himself, willingly came down from heaven, took on the form of a man, and he lived among us. And as he did that, he endured opposition from others. He endured the mocking and the beatings and the ridicule and the torture. So much that it ultimately took him to the cross. Where he took on our shame, our sin, our punishment, and he died in our place. And we're reminded to fix our eyes on him. Why? Because he loved us so much that he wanted us to be back in a restored relationship with him. That's the gospel message. That's the message and the call that we have in our lives. And as we fix our eyes on Christ, we consider the result of what his life has done for us. It leads us to a bigger understanding of the type of life that he's called us to live. So where do we go from here? What's, what's the next step? Well, a couple of years ago, I, uh, I agreed to go out and to try my very first 5K run. I don't think I made that decision in a weak moment of my life. Um, because I'm not a runner by nature, uh, unless it's running to go grab coffee at Caribou. Uh, but this wasn't just any old 5K run that I decided to sign up for. It was a 5K mud run. Once again, a weak moment that I had. It was a run. If you're not familiar with what a mud run is, it has all a lot of mud-related obstacles and, and situations that, uh, that you have to go through. Um, basically, it's done out on a big field or a farm area uh, in the suburbs of Chicago. I know, kind of ironic to think that, I'm sure. Um, but, uh, you know, things you had to climb up, you had to go around, you had to go, <clears throat> go under, um, things you had to slide down before you made it to the finish line. I guess somehow I thought running through mud would be more entertaining um, and more fulfilling than just running on a road. Um, little did I know that uh, that wasn't quite the case. Well, Jill, who had done races in the past, was interested in signing up for this race. And, and Nathan, uh, a couple years ago, was, has a very natural stride to run. Um, also wanted to jump in and get on board with the kids' version, which was just slightly below the 5K. Um, and so I was like, you know, I... <laughs> I guess I better get myself signed up too. Uh, so thinking about how to train for this, um, not being a runner by nature, uh, I, I did a little research and I found this app for my phone. Um, maybe you've heard of this. It's, from, it's called From the Couch to 5K. <laughs> and, uh, and the premise of an app such as this, as I eventually purchased it and began to use it, you know, the claim is that they're going to take someone who is not an athlete or a runner symbolized by someone who likes to sit on the couch. And, uh, and by the, over the course of an eight-week span, um, three exercises, three uh, routines throughout the week um, for about 30, 35 minutes an exercise, um, they're going to have you ready to run a 5K. So in eight weeks, you go from couch to a 5K. And so I began. 
Week one, day one, I open up my app. Workout number one, five-minute warm-up. Walk. Sweet. <laughs> I can handle this. What comes after that first five-minute walking warm-up? Walk for one minute. Nice. Run for one minute. And then repeat six times. Okay, I can handle this. So I'm, I'm running over the course of 30 to 30, 32 minutes in that first exercise. I'm running for six. Split up by a minute at a time. Fantastic. I came home after my first workout and I walked in the door and I'm like, man, this is, I'm feeling like a champ today. I just, I just checked off my first box. You know, I had to look at the bottom of my app on my phone. I got this little badge like, way to go. You did it. I'm like, yeah, I did, didn't I? I'm ready to do this, right? Two days later, I fire up my phone again, get the app out. It's, it's week one, day two. Five-minute walking warm-up. Sweet. Run for one minute. Walk for one minute. Run for The exact same thing. I'm like, sweet. Let's do this. Workout number three, same thing. Man. I'm like, okay, I just knocked out my first week. I got seven more weeks to go. I can handle this, right? That began to change as the weeks went on. All right, the runs became longer, and the walking periods became shorter, and in some cases, completely deleted off the app. Began to wonder if there was a problem with my app because I wasn't able to walk like I used to walk. But before I knew it, slowly but surely, I was developing the habit of running. And I was slowly being moved toward running my first 5K. You know, if you're not a runner, uh, to prepare for a 5K, you don't go down to the athletic store the night before a 5K, buy the most fancy smancy shoes that you can find, lace yourself up, and get out there the next morning and go running. No, you start a 5K by starting off by doing a five-minute walking warm-up. Week one, day one, and you begin to move toward your goal. I share that with you to encourage you to say, what is the first step that God may be asking you to take this week to help you run the race toward maturity? Maybe it's an attitude that needs to be adjusted in your life. Maybe it's a mindset that needs to shift. Maybe there's an action that particularly needs to be changed. Something that's been prohibiting you from growing in your relationship with Christ. You know, tonight in our community groups, we're going to be looking at this a little bit more closely and be able to drill down and be more specific and practical and personal. Um, and quite honestly, I can't think of a better place to do this than our community groups. It's, it's a place where we all gather around one another because we're in this race together, right? We have the opportunity through these community groups and the relationships that we have formed to encourage one another, to challenge one each other, to support each other along the race of maturity. I find it interesting in Hebrews 12, it doesn't say, you run the race, it says, let us run the race. It's a together thing. We're in this together. So I want to encourage you in your community groups tonight to be open and to unpack the meaning of what this is for you personally. 
If you're a prayer champion for one of our middle school or high school students, man, we're coming off of this weekend where we've talked about this concept of taking your faith to the next level. Can I encourage you to pray these three verses for your student? Can you pray that they would run the race with perseverance? That they would identify and be able to take off any hindrances that are preventing them or any sins that are entangling them? And would you pray that they would fix their eyes on Jesus in a world where they are tempted to look elsewhere? Or in the world where they are tempted to look like a pinata as opposed to an iceberg? Pray that they would consider him and the role that he's done and things that he's done in their lives. Father, I thank you so much for our time this morning. Lord, for this passage and the reminders to pursue maturity, to pursue Christ-likeness. God, we acknowledge that that doesn't come easy. It's not always something that we want to do. But Father, I pray through your spirit that you would empower us, you would encourage us and guide us so that we can better reflect your son and the work that you've done on our behalf. In your name we pray, amen.